A trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. I am glad you could join me today. You know, I can think of only a few occasions in uh, in my long, I would say, illustrious radio career, but I don't think we've quite, quite reached that point yet. But in 35 pl- years behind the mic... I have uh, I've only had a few occasions where uh, I just find myself going, holy cow. The stakes are very high. What do we talk about? What uh, you know, how how can I offer something of value to you that uh, will, you know, help to inform but not inflame or that will not just feed fears or feed anger that is already existing? Uh, One of the big ones was, of course, 9-11. That was that was huge. We watched the the news unfold that day all through the day. And when it came time for my afternoon uh, perspectives program, I thought, all right, let's uh, let's go ahead and open up the lines and just let people vent and say what's on their mind. And the very first call, the very first call was uh, (laughs) someone talking about how those sand N words are going to die. And it was like, wow, here we go. So. uh, didn't do so well as at not feeding the fear, but uh, I, I this is one of those times. This is one of those weeks where I, I, I feel like I'm in a similar situation. I want to choose carefully not only what I discuss, but uh, but how I, I bring it up. And this is not because I'm trying to artificially limit you to, you know, to this certain Pollyanna-ish uh, point of view. How can I explain this? There is a lot of virtue signaling going on right now, far more than I ever would have expected. And and, and the crazy thing to me is I'm seeing it from some really unlikely sources, people who I thought were were fairly well grounded in uh, principle. But it's everywhere. And I don't know if it's just, you know, the the fear of, well, I don't want to I don't want to be seen as as or be mistaken for being in support of something that's horrible. But I'm going to I'm going to put some cards on the table here. I'm going to let the chips fall where they may. Know that what I am saying is coming from my heart rather than a desire to to steer you in a political or a particular direction that uh, that I think you need to go. There are just a couple of things that I need to say, and and this is one of the very few times in my career that I feel um, a little bit of trepidation knowing that there are people who will absolutely, positively, gleefully misrepresent this as something dangerous, something that requires that I be, you know, canceled via cancel culture or blacklisted or otherwise, you know, deplatformed. Somehow I must be stopped. That's how dangerous some people will see this. So the first thing I want to tell you is on some level, I absolutely sympathize with the people who stormed the Capitol. And it's not because I think violence is the best way to do anything. I really don't. I think it's it's the worst possible way. But it's it's because I question, first of all, the, the narrative that has developed. The popular narrative is what happened was a desecration of the temple of our democracy. Come on. We've heard politicians talk about this. Oh, they can't grandstand enough. 
And I get it was a huge breach of decorum on the part of the public. It was rowdy to a degree. It was violent, but I'm talking violence in the terms of hundreds of dollars of damage were done. Broken windows, a broken door. People went in and waved flags and 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 essentially they they rubbed it in the face of of some of these congressional leaders that uh, we came in here. We sat in your office. I scooted my butt across your carpet like a dog, you know, whatever. That was juvenile. But it was nothing like what is being portrayed. And and I, this was from a friend of mine who is in law enforcement. Uh, we talked uh, last night and and he, he said, you know, the, the craziest thing about it is the language that is being used is as if these protesters who pushed their way into the Capitol. By the way, I actually have I have the video link. I don't know if Twitter is going to keep it up for very long, but I have a video that shows very clearly park police at some point simply opening the doors, simply moving aside the barricades. And letting the protesters come in. So when you hear that this was a terrorist, insurrectionist, seditionist, blah, you know, terror raid on, on the Capitol. Think twice. My friend said the language that we're hearing used right now is as if a Holocaust was carried out. And, and, and they're talking, the, the people in power, Pelosi and others, are talking like this, this is the beginning of the never again verbiage. And I understand that sounds like hyperbole. Wow, they're pretending it's a Holocaust. Look at the way the news is portraying this. Look at the language that they are using. Why does this sound familiar to me? Okay, here come a few more cards on the table. Because when was it? Five years ago. There was a takeover of a wildlife refuge in Malheur in Oregon. I happen to know some of the people who were involved in that. Happened to be close friends with a couple of them. And I heard the very same kind of terroristic, you know, inflammatory language. And and yet, you know, st- people still refer to it. In fact, my wife actually referred to it as, well, you know, remember the standoff up in Oregon? And, and I just go, it was never a standoff. It was never a standoff in the sense that, uh, you know, police and the protesters were holding each other at bay, you know, with guns pointed at one another. That was never the case. How can I assert that so confidently? Well, because in the middle of that so-called standoff, Ryan Bundy and Lavoy Finnicum traveled to southern Utah. Lavoy Finnicum surprised me by showing up at my radio studio and asking me if he could join me on the air. And, of course, I gratefully accommodated him. Um, that uh, constituted uh, the last of about nine hours of interviews that I was able to record with him. He spent three hours on the air with me that day. If it was a standoff, if there was a perimeter and there were armed people preventing anybody from coming or going, how were he and Ryan Bundy able to travel to southern Utah? It wasn't a freaking standoff. It was an occupation. And and I'll grant you, they went in there and they took over that wildlife refuge. Now, they didn't kick anybody out. They showed up on a holiday. The place was deserted. It is true that the protesters, many of those who showed up, did have firearms in their possession. But to make it sound like, oh my gosh, they took it over with guns, and oh yeah, they kicked in doors and ordered people out at gunpoint and threatened to shoot them. Nothing of the like. They peacefully walked in there. They checked around the various outbuildings. They found a key box, which had keys to the building, so they didn't even have to break locks or anything. And they set up shop. 
And they occupied it under a legal principle called adverse possession. By the way, if you ever want to see something really interesting on this, I would encourage you watch the uh, Center for Self-Governance's uh, series, Dead Man, Wa- Dead Man Talking, which, which has actual recordings, both from government informants as well as, you know, the people who were participating in this decision to do this. My point is simply this. That was hyped up and overblown and talked about like, oh, my gosh, it's Al-Qaeda taking over, you know, this this wildlife refuge and threatening people. No, people came and went as they pleased. People brought in food. People brought in fire, uh, firewood. They brought in, uh, you know, blankets and clothing. A lot of people showed up out there just to find out, are you guys really the monsters that I'm being told that you are? And even if they didn't agree with them by the time they left, they at least went, hey, these guys are these guys are on the up and up. They're not terrorists. Now, contrast that with the behavior of the federal, the federal police, as well as um, state police who set up a garrison state in nearby Burns, Oregon, you know, where, where they were t- they were the ones going around terrorizing and accosting people at gunpoint and, and, and in, invoking this siege mentality as they took over the city. We have to cancel schools. Really? The refuge is 40 miles away. Why are you canceling schools? Oh, it could get dangerous. Well, it was getting dangerous because you had a bunch of trigger-happy officers running around there, fed full of fear and lies that, oh, these, this is the most terroristic thing that's ever happened. Okay, long story short, Lavoie Finnegan was killed on January 26th. It didn't have to happen. There weren't even arrest warrants sworn out for them at that time. He'd been allowed to travel to and from, as had others, there was no standoff. But the way it was reported, the the narrative that was constructed led some of those police to believe that they were dealing with a very deadly threat and that that reduced what was already a very tiny margin of error to nothing. So any pretext that they could get for using deadly force, they used it. And a very good man lost his life. Now, when I come back the other side of the break here, I want to relate that to what I am hearing, some of the key words, some of the buzzwords that are being employed in describing what took place at the U.S. Capitol a couple of days ago. And I think there's something very similar afoot. It's Holocaust-type language, complete with the never again. We will never let this happen again. And I'm going to explain to you, in my opinion, why I think that forebodes uh, some very dark times for anyone who loves freedom, not just those who busted into the Capitol. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Our program brought to you in part by Alta Bank, as well as by Landmark Risk Management and Insurance. I have sponsored links in the show notes, which you can find at thebrianhydeshow.com. I want you to consider, consider seriously, too, if, if there is something in this broadcast or this podcast that uh, rings the right bells with you, I would ask you to see if it is possible to, be, to become one of my supporters. And I'm not saying, you know, I, just, I need a crisp $100 bill from you every month, but I'm asking you to consider a $1, a $5, a $10 monthly donation goes a long way in helping me focus on finding the best possible sources of information and then conveying it to you as best I can. 
like everybody, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep the wolves away from the door. Um, I am willing to, to work as hard as is necessary to provide for my family. And that means that I have to have, you know, several different, uh, you know, side gigs going along. That's just kind of the nature of the gig economy. And I'm a part of that. But what I do best is what I am doing right now. And that is finding and conveying information for people who are serious about understanding the times that we live in getting truthful or at least thoughtful commentary and then understanding that you have influence that uh, you cannot discount and that, that you should be looking to put to good use. If that's a message that resonates with you, I would invite you to go to my show notes again, the Brian and you can either subscribe to the podcast. You can become a donor there, or you can consider becoming a patron because with your help, I am able to focus much more tightly on what I am doing here, and uh, and I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. All right. I was talking about the uh, the language that's being used to describe what happened, and and I have to clarify. I if I were if I were there at the the National Mall, had I gone to Washington D.C. for the big rally, I would not have been one of those people pushing my way into the Capitol. I don't resonate with with that kind of uh, showboating let alone the, the violence that was involved in. And, and, you know, if this sounds like justification, fine. Call it what it is. The amount of violence shown by those unarmed protesters were the ones who were armed with flags and chanting <laughs> and disrespect um, was, it was a pretty minor threat. And it's very interesting to me that the political class sees any encroachment on their sacred shrine as, you know, it's, it's an existential threat. And that's how it's being reported, and that's how it's being played up. And, and the, the shame and the, the scorn that is being heaped on President Trump, I don't believe is justified. I'm not saying that as, as a hardcore supporter of Donald Trump. I am not, and I have not been a hardcore supporter of him. There are some things I think the man has done right. And I guess to some people, that would make me a Trumper. But I'm just saying, those areas where he slowed down the juggernaut of Leviathan, slowly but surely encroaching on more and more of our rights, I think that was actually a good thing. And I'm pretty sure that's one of the reasons why he has been so soundly hated by much of the Washington, D.C. establishment. They don't like to see any prospect of their power and privileges being limited. And, and so the greatest affront that took place was not... You know, the damage done to the Capitol or the loss of life, which it turns out was at the hands of the Capitol Police. Oh, sorry. I'm going to get this one off my chest, too. So the, the news is reporting and, and using some really wishy-washy, ambiguous language. A police officer, a Capitol Police officer has died in connection with the events of this, uh, this uh, protest. Now, why won't they be a little more clear? I mean, they would tell us he died because a uh, protester knelt on his neck as he pleaded for them to let him breathe. You know, they would play uh, they, they, under different circumstances. That would be all over the place. They would tell us if this was a black officer who had died at the hands of a white protester. Oh, man. I mean, this is narrative gold. But instead, we're just being told, well, this officer died in connection with the events. And what we're supposed to infer from this, I'm guessing, is that, well, see, this protest even killed a member of law enforcement. Pause for dramatic effect. 
Now, I've only seen one person who has, has reported on this, and I can't corroborate it, but my understanding is the officer died of a stroke. Donuts and boredom eventually caught up with him, and bad health, you know, in a, in a stressful situation, took his life. I think I would have a hard time connecting the dots and saying, yes, Donald Trump, by his speech, which he gave, killed that police officer. But that's what people are trying to do. I'm so grateful to Charity White for joining me on the show yesterday and spending some time talking about her experience outside of the Capitol where the real action was. And particularly, it was very instructive to ask her, what did President Trump talk about? And if you didn't hear it, uh, you can find it in the show archives. It'll be the second hour of the Brian Hyde show for January 7th, 2021. Listen to her. She takes the first two segments of the show, but she talks about... Actually, I guess it's just the first segment. So just that 10 minutes, she'll tell you about what the president talked about, how he laid out the case for why he was challenging and why he was encouraged people, encouraging people to challenge the results of this election. I like how my friend Joe Carey puts it. No, I didn't see the flames, but I definitely smelled the smoke. All the promises of releasing the Kraken, all the promises where we're going to drop these bombshells and you're going to see all the proof. I don't think any of us really saw that. And, and I don't believe the courts actually gave it any kind of fair hearing either. They dismissed it on technicalities, one after another after another. Except for the Pennsylvania court, which actually did hear it on its merits and found in favor of the president. That was later dismissed on another technicality under appeal. Huh, go figure. But here's, here's the bottom line. In no way did I hear Trump advocating... Go and commit violence. Charity explained after he had finished laying out his remarks about uh, about an hour's worth of speech with very detailed. Here's where there are inconsistencies in the election. These are some of the things that have raised questions. He then said to the crowd. Let's go take a walk to the Capitol. Now, maybe he should have been a little more direct. It may be what he really thinking was burn this MF to the ground. I heard a lot of that, by the way, in the last part of uh, 2020. But it wasn't coming from the president. It was coming from, well, actually other elected leaders and and, uh, BLM activists and Antifa types. So I I know people are thinking, Brian, you're just getting into whataboutism now. But my point is simply this. What happened on Wednesday may have been uncomfortable and ugly to see. But the way that it is being portrayed as the worst thing to happen since the Holocaust is absolutely out of order and it's being used to tar and feather anybody who had any association even even those members of congress whose job is to see to it that the constitutional process is upheld and if there's inconsistencies to call that into question they're being made pariahs they're being canceled as best as the cancel mob can get to them What happens when we allow our language to become perverted like this? I can tell you this much. People are no wiser about what's going on. 
And and if it if it upsets you that I'm drawing the parallels between you know what happened at the Malheur Wildlife Refuge versus what happened at the nation's capital, all I'm pointing out is the press has had a really bad habit of propagandizing and sensationalizing how it reports events to the point that uh, you know when they re- refer to Malheur as a a standoff or an armed confrontation with militia, a terrorist event, they were as full of it as a Christmas goose. And for most people. That really wasn't understood and still isn't understood. I mean, there were those of us who were still shocked when the jury in Oregon came back and acquitted those who were tried for taking over that refuge. I don't know whether to feel pity or contempt for the journalists and the pundits who are taking this approach and trying to inflame an already bad situation. So I'll just say this. Be careful. Do not commit to an ideological point of view until you've thought it through a little bit. That's good advice. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. So, yeah, in a nutshell, I'm asking you to just consider, and I want, I want you to consider this with me as well. Is it possible that someone is trying to steer me in a predictable direction when it comes to how they are reporting on what took place at the Capitol? I've told you where I'm coming from, but I'm also going to tell you there's a part of me that, that sympathizes to a degree with the people who were there. And, yes, even with some of the people who forced their way into the Capitol. I don't think it was the right thing to do, but... For crying out loud, they they are feeling as though they are being marginalized, that their country is being taken away from them, and and that worse, the ruling class, the political class that's doing it, is sitting there thumbing their nose and smiling the whole time as they're doing it. So it's totally possible to say that wasn't a good idea and still say that I can understand why people would feel the frustration to do that. So let's go to the phone. 801-331-8113. Rob, what are you thinking? I think I'm going to die with the generation that knew about the phone that hung on the wall. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm not giving in. I'm, I'm not going to be wearing the mask. I, I, matter of fact, I just fired that up a little bit more in the last couple of days. I'm going in the stores more... I'm not wearing a mask. You know, I go up to Wyoming. Nobody wears a mask. They're like, Governor, they can't mandate it. They can't mandate it. This whole mask thing is the biggest hoax in the world. I think this has all been put together exactly. This is evil genius. You ever hear that oh, yeah. definition? That, that's, that's what you just witnessed in the last four years. And... Uh, yeah, I, I think those people had the right to do what they did because that's their house. They pay for it. Nancy Pelosi doesn't generate one dime to sit in that desk. She doesn't do anything. And I think those people did the right thing, and I think we should still be doing it right now, today. I think everyone should still be rioting. We should be. That's how your country was founded. It was not a peaceful protest. I can't imagine these. Wait till these liberals really get a taste of what they voted in. Because they're not going to be exempt from it. They're going to be getting it just as worse as everybody else. But you know what they're thinking? So, 
they're thinking, but it's all, all of those swords are going to be pointed at you. No, they're not. They no, that's that's exactly what they're. Come on, it's it's weaponized, Rob. They're they're thinking that look now it's our turn to tell you guys what to do. Look at the contempt that they are showing right now for Donald Trump. I mean, the Inquisition, the guys who carried out the Inquisition, who burned people at the stake and then buried their bodies and then dug up the bodies and burned them and and you know uh, floated them down the river so people couldn't visit their graves. That's how desperate the establishment is to get Trump and get any memory of him out of there. It's crazy. This is, this, is, this is about power over you and me and anybody else who does not sign on to what they want. Well, that's what the gal who was a historian was telling me today. Exactly what you just said. And she's trying to convince her daughter of it, but the daughter won't hear. But I, I, you know what? I would rather die than live under that regime. Sorry. That's, that's just going to be the way it's going to be. And... Uh, just everybody, you know, I mean, I don't think I've ever lived long enough to hear the call on commercials to be ready to defend the Second Amendment. Yeah, it's it's coming. And sadly, you're probably going to get the opportunity to uh, to make that decision of either die or live under, you know, the the boot of this new regime. Rob, thanks for the call. I I still don't believe that uh, I don't think going out there and initiating violence is the way that you get things done. I understand the frustration. In fact, I want to share with you a couple excerpts here. Uh, This is from this is an article that was on the blaze earlier today from Jason Whitlock. Ignoring the concerns of Trump supporters will destroy America. Now, some people would read that and be like, oh, my gosh, he's making a threat. Hear what he's saying, though. He says, Wednesday afternoon, angry, unarmed, mostly peaceful protesters stormed the Capitol. By the way, I love his use of mostly peaceful. That one's got a sting for all those pundits who were telling us violence is the answer just last summer. He says they caused hundreds of dollars in damages to the People's House, the taxpayer-funded building where elected lawmakers work. They took pictures seated at Nancy Pelosi's desk. They shoved furniture out of place. They pushed their way past unprepared and overwhelmed law enforcement. They shattered a window or two. If not for police shooting and killing an unarmed female 14-year Air Force veteran, the protests staged by Trump supporters would have more more in common with a 1950s fraternity uh, panty raid than a political riot. Here he says, I guess I should apologize for not joining the rest of the media in feigning outrage and calling for the trespassers to be tried for treason. But he says, I'm neither outraged nor feeling vengeful because of their act of civil disobedience. He says, I understand it. It was an inevitable repercussion from 2020 and what we've all witnessed in the last decade. It was Sir Isaac Newton's third law come to life. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. He says, for four years now, the billionaire and millionaire elites who control academia, mainstream media, politics, popular culture, and the sports world have framed Trump supporters as racist deplorables worthy of elimination from society. These same elites spent the past decade elevating Michael Brown, George Floyd, Jacob Blake, Rayshard Brooks, Eric Garner, and other resisting suspects to icon status while simultaneously raising bail money for protesters willing to loot, burn, and vandalize in the name of racial justice. And he says this blatant hypocrisy will not go unchallenged. You cannot ignore the desires, concerns, and feelings of 74 million citizens. 
You cannot write them off as Nazis and answer all their complaints with allegations of racism or sexism. That's fascism. He says, at this point, the deplorables should be commended for their restraint. Antifa and Black Lives Matters search, burn, and destroy well into the wee hours. The deplorables returned to their hotel rooms by nightfall and watched our lawmakers return to work inside the Capitol by 8 p.m. The critics say President Trump provoked Wednesday's political violence. His refusal to concede a corrupt election baited his followers to overrun the Capitol with flags, put Ashley Babbitt in harm's way, and do enough property damage to delay the Electoral College confirmation for three or four hours. He says, fine, guilty as charged. But he says our president for the next two weeks was not Lee Harvey Oswald, a lone provocateur. He had plenty of collaborators. They work on all the major and and cable news and sports networks. They play in the NFL and NBA. They represent both political parties. They hold high positions in Hollywood at Netflix, Google, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The people wagging their fingers the hardest at Trump and the deplorables sanctioned, financed, and promoted political violence throughout all of 2020 and for much of the past decade. Ashley Babbitt's blood is on the hands of Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg as much, if not more, than on President Trump's. That's why Dorsey and Zuckerberg rushed to silence Trump on their respective platforms, Twitter and Facebook. By the way, that's a good indication of how confident they are that this 2020 election was the most honest and transparent in history. They ban anybody from even so much as questioning it. That should tell you something. Jason Whitlock says political tension and violence are fomented, planned, and monetized on Silicon Valley's social media platforms. Wednesday's violence hit the wrong target. The capital is where global elites exchange cash for influence and privilege. It's where $150,000 a year politicians become multimillionaires, building cozy relationships with big tech lobbyists and American corporations looking to curry favor with China. The capital is sacred ground for elites. The way you might revere a church edifice is the way millionaires and billionaires revere the capital. The NBA multimillionaires said they played with heavy hearts Wednesday night after seeing the capital desecrated. They made twisted, illogical analogies between nonviolent civil disobedience and the rioting, looting, and violence that occurred in Minneapolis, Atlanta, Kenosha, and all across the country this summer. It reminds me of what Dr. Martin Luther King has said, that there's two split, different Americas. Boston Celtics star Jalen Brown told reporters, In one America, you get killed by sleeping in your car, selling cigarettes, or playing in your backyard. And then in another, you get to storm the Capitol. No tear gas, no massive arrests, none of that. Now he says Brown is right. There are two different American realities. There's the false reality world created by and for elites and their groupies. In this world, progressive elites feign concern for poor black people by championing the cause of a tiny handful of black resisting criminal suspects harmed by white police officers tasked with subduing them. The elites have no interest in the thousands of black men and boys killed annually due to random gang, street and drug violence. Those black lives do not matter. Progressive elites live inside a social media matrix where they call the Crips and Bloods to protect them from the police. The rest of America lives in an alternate universe driven at least partially by reality, facts, and common sense. We don't see the norms of Western civilization as the root of all evil. We have no interest in disrupting the nuclear family. We don't think the storming of the Capitol is analogous to the months of looting, arson, shooting, rioting, and anarchy we watched throughout 2020. I'm going to come back to this in a few moments, but you get the picture. 
There are some legitimate concerns. And by the way, I think the Black Lives Matter folks have some legitimate concerns, too. I think that uh, violence is not the way to solve those concerns. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Okay, I, I have to apologize. If I sound like I'm getting a little bit wound up, it's probably true. I am. But please understand that uh, at, the, at the heart of what I'm trying to communicate here is that it's really important that we do not buy into false narratives or incomplete narratives and go on uh, on half-baked information. It deserves a closer look. And I'm sharing this article by Jason Whitlock. This was published on The Blaze about how ignoring the concerns of Trump supporters will destroy America. And of all the lines out of this article that, that he gives, I think the one about it's, it's a matter of we live in two different realities. There is a reality in which the political class and the media believe that anything we say is automatically the truth. And the arrogance with which they do this, by the way, has, has increased a hundredfold over what it was even just a few short years ago. It's, it's insane. The rest of America lives in an alternate universe, universe driven at least partially by facts, reality, and common sense. And he goes on in this article to talk about how media, athletes, and celebrities have treated, you know, the, the really, truly violent protesters, the ones who were actually destroying people's livelihoods and lives and businesses, have all been treated like heroes. Politicians have taken a knee. They've worn kente cloth to show their allegiance with these protesters. Every national sportscaster and head coach has gone along with the facade. The police are a greater threat than these protesters. But you bring up a Trump supporter today, and people describe it as a poison. It's a poison that we have to eradicate. Tell me exactly what that means, little comrade. Does it say in your little red book what, uh, what that means to eradicate Trumpism? As Jason Whitlock says, a Trump supporter, he or she is an American pariah, a racist, a coon, an idiot, a sellout, someone to be silenced or ignored. But he says Trump supporters will not go away quietly or peacefully. It's their country, too, and their concerns are legitimate. The lawmakers they chased to the basement of the Capitol sold out the American working class man and woman. He says they sold out my mom and dad and the way of life that allowed me to rise from poverty to a life of comfort and privilege. His dad apparently was a small businessman in Indianapolis who owned a tavern that catered to hourly union factory workers. His mother was a factory worker in Indianapolis and in Kansas City. And he talks about how the people he grew up with, the black people he grew up with, the ones who frequented the Masterpiece Lounge and went on bowling trips with his mom, these were not global citizens. They were hardworking high school graduates who wanted their kids to move up the economic and social ladder. And they had a lot in common with Trump supporters. But we can't see that common ground now because the mainstream media and social media have us so irrationally polarized that we think skin color explains everything. And again, just to remind you, when he says those Trump supporters, he's not talking about people who are just, you know, inured to the idea that, you know, Trump is, is the answer to all of our prayers. He's talking about people who understand that 
Western civilization is not the root of all evil. The family does not need to be deconstructed as some kind of a racist relic. That everything that came before us may not have actually been wrong. Certainly there were some mistakes. You were dealing with human beings after all. We're sick and tired of busybodies. And by the way, I'm, I, when I say we, I'm, you know, I don't count myself as a Trump supporter, but I'm sure as heck one of the people who is sick and tired of being told that everything that I consider foundational in life, right and wrong, my religion, my family, my ability to make choices for myself, my ability to enjoy my property unmolested, is somehow wrong and, and just an example of privilege. And it's not enough to just, you know, for people to say it's, it's not right. They actively want to take the harness, uh, harness the powers of government and take it away from people. Take away those liberties. Enforce wickedness into the minds of our children. I have a hard time with that. And I like how Jason Whitlock puts it. He says, skinned color does not explain the Trump phenomenon, the passion of his followers. He says Trumpism is rooted in a rejection of the elitism, idolatry, and secularism pervasive in modern American culture. In 1620, September, 400 years ago, 102 passengers boarded the Mayflower, fleeing southern England, and the elitist society constructed there. They were the original Trumpers, the dregs of European society in search of freedom of religion and expression. He says, Trumpism is the cry of American citizens uninterested in adopting the cultures and customs of France, China, Italy, Cuba, Venezuela, Canada, or any of the other places global elites romanticize. Trumpism is the cry of the working class who believe the big tech billionaires are building an America that cuts them out of the American dream. I like this line. Trumpism is the cry of Americans who value authenticity over the fraudulence of political correctness. And he says the price of ignoring their cries will be war, a civil war. And from there, I can only point out. It's not what the Trumpers want. It's not what the people who stood for America and stood for their liberties wanted. It's a choice that is being forced on us by relentless, self-righteous busybodies who believe that it is their prerogative to do so and that they are not bound by any absolutes of right or wrong, to them the ends justify the means. They don't know history. Or at least if they, if they know it, they've, they've taken all the wrong lessons from it. Well, it worked for Mao. It worked for Pol Pot. It worked for Stalin. It worked for Mussolini. It worked for Hitler. Surely it'll work for us. We have the equivalent of, uh, you know, 19th century, I'm sorry, 18th century uh, French Revolution Jacobins who are so assured of their self-righteousness that they believe they can impose anything on anybody. And the kicker is, I would be perfectly content to leave them alone. Choose your life. Do you choose your path of happiness as you want to? I don't make any such claims over your life or your happiness. And in return, all I ask is leave me and my stuff alone as well. And they won't do it. And they mistake a political process, in this case an election, by which uh, the result seems to have favored their preferred candidate. 
maybe by the thinnest of margins, but to them, that is a license for now we own you. And this is where I have to agree with Rob. Nope. Don't force the issue. I'm saying this from the bottom of my heart. We are trying to give you every opportunity to back off before it really gets violent. I don't want to see that. It will destroy so many lives and destroy so much of the the happiness that so many of us enjoy right now. And some would say it's irresponsible for even, you know, to, to voice, you know, a concern about this kind of thing, that that feeds the likelihood of it happening. I'm sounding a voice of warning. My little red comrades call that uh, fear mongering. But if I saw cracks forming in the dam that's upstream from town, you better believe I would be saying something about it. And I see those cracks growing wider by the minute. I see the separation between the people and the government getting bigger by the minute. And it's very disturbing to see how many people buy into it and and try to pretend. I don't know why they pretend, but they act as if, no, this is the natural way things are supposed to be. This is just a natural correction in course, and that's how it's supposed to go. No, it's not. And if you're foolish enough to take it to the point that you are willing to initiate violence against people who just wanted to live freely, you'll be making a very terrible mistake. Unlike the Jews of Europe in in the 1930s, we have the ability to say no and to make it stick. And again, I say this from the bottom of my heart. I don't want to hurt anybody. I, I I would be happy to live all of my days never having looked down my gun sights at another human being. And at the same time, I believe there are things that are absolutely worth fighting for and dying for if necessary. So if I find myself in that situation, it's not going to be because I chose to be there. It's going to be because somebody pushed me until there was no other alternative. And even then, I'm going to try to do everything I can to avoid it. But when push comes to shove, I fear we're about to learn why that right to keep and bear arms was something that the founders put great importance on when they crafted the Bill of Rights. I wish I had more time to talk about freedom of speech, too, because that's a huge one. And that's the one we're going to use to our advantage. Keep it right here. I'll keep speaking truth to the best of my ability. And thank you for being part of my audience. This is The Brian Hyde Show.